You're listening to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. First of all, I want to thank all you listeners once again for writing in and letting us know what you think about our podcast. Still continuing to get great feedback from you guys, and it's always nice to hear. And please keep it up. Let us know what you think, and, and, and if there's any guests you'd like to think we should have on or a segment you want to hear more of, let us know. All right, today's episode, we have Dan Pashman from the WNYC podcast, The Sporkful. Dan was kind enough to have me on his show last year at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas, and we talked about pie versus cake. I was firmly in the cake corner on that one. Uh, caught some grief for it from all you pie lovers. What Dan wanted to talk about on our podcast was sound and food. So the more I thought about it, the more I got intrigued. And I was like, yeah, I, I want to talk to Dan about this because weirdly, I have a lot of thoughts on the subject that I didn't even know I had. Here is Dan and me talking about sound and food. So Dan, we're, we're actually doing an entire podcast about sound and food. Well, that's a, this is the perfect medium for that. <laughs> I, I didn't think about that. That's very true. Uh, the podcasts, they, they were made for food sound discussions. Yeah. When I first started a food podcast six years ago, people would be like, food, audio, what? Well, that's interesting because, yeah, you think you have to either see food or taste food to sort of experience it. Wow, this is, you're kind of blowing my mind here. Yeah. That, that did not occur to me. When you started it, The Sporkful, what were your thoughts? And your did you have any doubt that you could pull it off? I mean, I, I sort of set out saying like we're not going to do recipes or restaurants or chefs or cooking because I felt like there's so many people like Bon Appetit, you know, could run circles around me. Like, what could I possibly add to that? I, I just I just slipped down a twenty. <laughs> <laughs> so we just sort of started like nerding out on the details of food and the eating experience, focusing on the eating experience. And what we found is that you know one of the cool things about audio, I think, is like because they can't see you, because they can't taste the food, like a lot is left to the imagination and it makes you feel kind of interactive. So people would write in and be like, you guys just spent like 20 minutes talking about peanut butter and jelly and I had to immediately run to the store and go get a peanut butter and jelly, yes. you know? Chunky or creamy? I'm a, I'm a chunky. Yeah. How do you layer the peanut butter and jelly? Um, well, I would say this. I, I grew up with Jif Extra Crunchy. Um, and then I got to say, I don't know, because I have a kid now, I've kind of gone over to the natural camp. Mm -hmm. um, and the one thing you notice about like Jif and those other more sort of grocery store brands is how sweet they are. Yeah. Like there's a lot of sugar in them, which is why kids like them. Um, but I will take typically uh, wheat bread, spread the peanut butter on, um, not too thick, but thick enough. And then what I do with a very gentle hand is I will put the jelly directly on top of the peanut butter and sort of just sort of like sort of caress it in there and the little nooks and sort of waves of the peanut butter. I don't like to press it in the bread on the other side because a lot of times the bread absorbs the jelly or jam and it kind of soaks into the bread. I don't want that. I want there to be sort of this marriage between peanut butter and jelly and then the top piece of bread goes on top of that. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. I mean, it's interesting. I, I, I guess I like a little bit of jelly to bread absorption. I like when you get that kind of fusion, but I do also get what you're saying about melding the peanut butter and the jelly together. Yeah. But you wouldn't want to mix the peanut butter no. and jelly together separately. No, 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 separately. no, 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 no. This is a very, this takes a deft hand. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a very gentle process. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I, for my layering, I like to do a very thin layer of jelly on top and bottom. Oh. And peanut butter in the middle. Wow. Yeah. 
Wow. Because that's like, <laughs> like taking a while to absorb that. Yeah. So it's funny. So when you when you, we were bandying about ideas for uh, having you on, and you had this idea about food and sound, and I was like, wow, that's really nerdy. But it's one of the things like the more you think about, the more you're like, oh. Yeah, like that does make sense. And I was just thinking just right now, seeing that movie Chef, the uh, John Favreau film about the food truck, and the audio clips of the food scenes were so sort of just piercing. Like there were sounds of like, you know, chopping like an onion. It's like shunk, shunk, shunk. And then the scene where he's grilling the cheese and it's like shh. And then he flips it over and then he slices the grilled cheese and it's like shh. And I I vividly remember not only the visual but the real the sound of that and it, like it did at the time when I was seeing the movie really sort of like it was a stimulant I was like oh yeah that's what food sounds like totally I, I think it's kind of the forgotten sense in terms of food cooking and eating but it's one of those things like you said that like you're constantly taking in all this input whenever you're dealing with food whenever you're cooking or whenever you're eating and some of that input. Uh, uh, is you're very consciously aware of, like you can, see, like you you notice how the food looks, and yeah. obviously you notice how it tastes and it smells, right? Oh. But you are also aware, like you, I'm sure people are listening and they're like, oh yeah, like this the sound of a sizzle, you know, when when a steak hits a hot griddle or whatever. When we were talking about this first, you mentioned like, well, the the quintessential sound is like right. And then, and talk talk about that and like what is what does that mean what should you hear what shouldn't you hear well i mean first of all that sound i mean of all the sounds like that is some primal stuff right mm. there the sound yes. of fire and meat which you, is which is also what i mean in some ways defines humans we cook our food right. no other animal does that and putting a protein or vegetable to heat alters the chemical makeup of that it creates an aroma we talked about it creates the maillard reaction exactly if you could explain the maillard reaction to to people who don't nerd out on food, <laughs> right. food chemistry i mean it's basically the 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 meat proteins are breaking down it's kind of like the meat equivalent of caramelization yeah mm. we also call it the browning reaction and basically when when the maillard reaction is taking place that is when you're getting that that nice char on the meat that is when you are bringing forth that meaty aroma that stimulates us, that we crave. And that's, you know, a lot of what we love about eating meat. And when you hear that sizzle, you know that that reaction is taking place. Yeah, and it's and I, I think it's literally like the amino acids and the sugars within the piece of protein start to mingle. And right. They, and that's where an aroma comes from. That's where that caramelized crust on a steak or pork chop comes from. And all of a sudden, yeah, I don't think you typically – use. Pick, look at a steak, you don't smell anything. It's like, okay, it's a piece of steak. But you, you smell and hear a steak sizzling in a cast iron skillet, and all of a sudden your brain goes crazy. Exactly. Um, and, you, and let's talk about just, yeah, I, and I think as a cook, I, I think what's interesting, and we were talking about this in our test kitchen yesterday, is how how often you use your ears without even realizing you use your ears. Like, I mean, first of all, with, with the, hitting that pan, if I don't really hear a I'm like, oh, I didn't get the pan hot enough. I should have waited another minute to bring that cast iron skillet to full temperature. Right. Uh, you know, you can, you should trust your ears. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, as part of my uh, research for this episode of The Sporkful, I taped an interview with Christine Ha, who's known as the blind chef. She won Master Chef. And we didn't end up using it in this episode. We're going to try to use it down the road. But it was you know, especially interesting to hear from her how she uses her ears all the time um, to, to, to tell when the water is at the right level of boiling, um, to be able to 
uh, listen to, to the even like when she's making the filling for spring rolls, mm-hmm. she can tell in part by the sound as she's tossing all the ingredients together by this sort of you can almost tell how heavy a food is mm-hmm. by the sound it makes. In the same yeah. way, like if you're making homemade mayonnaise, if you have a proper emulsion, you'll hear like a low as you're blending it a low, like thump, 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 yeah, thump, yeah. thump, because it's thick, it's thickening. If it's if you've haven't blended the emulsion properly, you'll have this sort of higher-pitched, watery blending sound like bzz, 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 yeah. bzz, bzz, bzz. Or the same thing uh, with like, if you're whipping cream with the whisk. At first it's like shh, and then it's, then it's just going thwap, 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 and you can hear it come together and the, as the air sort of builds up within it. Um, Carla Music, our food director, mentioned when we were talking about this yesterday, something that I do all the time but didn't realize I do, that when you're in the kitchen and you're doing six different things and you got two kids running around and all of a sudden you hear that clatter of a pot yeah kept up the lid of a kettle and it's like oh the water's boiling right you know right exactly uh, or, or if you're if you miss that sound you hear the sound of the water overflowing onto the stove and then it's you know what sucks i have my apartment <laughs> so i i live in this super old apartment building in new york city so we all have electric stoves oh and it's such a drag there are those times where you forget that you put something on and not only water, but God forbid you have like milk or something that boils over uh, and then it starts to burn oh. on the glass top and that smell of, oh, yeah. I've done that a lot where stuff boils <laughs> over and I'm like, no. Right. And at that point you start using your nose and not your ear. And you're yeah, like, yeah, exactly. And it, and it really just caramelizes and crisps up on, on, the, on the top. Um, Maybe that should be a new feature, a new Bon Appetit feature, what to do with the milk that has spilled over it, onto your electric stove. It, it's not good. <laughs> you mentioned scallions. And what, what, what were you talking about with scallions? So this is one that I actually brought a couple of clips of from our show. So Kenji Lopez-Alt, who I'm sure you know from Serious Eats, he, he was telling me about this one. he has one. his new book. Uh, the Food Lab. The Food Lab, which is right. a gorgeous book if, if you want to go out and buy a 10-pound book. Absolutely. And he he was saying his very first job in, in a professional kitchen, his first job day, he was cutting scallions. He spent 45 minutes cutting scallions for the whole restaurant. And after 45 minutes, the chef walked by and just because she could hear – the sound that he was making. She just w- was r- rushing by. She stopped and said, you're cutting those scallions wrong. Throw them all out. You need to do it again. How was he doing it and how should he have been doing it? Well, so the w- what he was doing wrong was that he was chopping. Uh-huh. He was chopping f- hard down and basically crushing. Yeah, you hear, you hear him kind of compress almost. That's right. Let's hear that sound clip of the wrong way. So you hear that like hard chopping yep. sound, and what's happening there is that plant cells are being crushed. Oh my God, that's so sad. I know, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> They're being crushed, and that releases these chemical compounds that that result in lacrimators, which are the things in onions that make you cry. They're the things that make yeah. onions very pungent. So if you're chopping onions with a dull knife, that's often when your sort of your eyes get irritated. Exactly. And so what you want to do instead is rather than chopping straight down, you want to smoothly, you want to work the knife horizontally instead of vertically. Mm. Smooth back and forth. Slicing back and forth with a very sharp knife. And theoretically, it should glide through. Exactly. And that way, it'll crush fewer plant cells and release fewer lacrimators. I'm going to get a t-shirt that says, save the plant cells. (laughs) Can we we hear that sound? Yeah, this is the right way. Just glide. That's right. It's so smooth. I'm going to just, when I go to sleep at night, I'm just going to play that. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like a white noise machine, right. but just scallions slicing. I have to say, though, when it, when I first heard this, I was kind of disappointed because like, I'm not a professional chef yeah. at all. But I feel like when I used to, before I knew about this, chop scallions, 
like when you have a big knife and you're kind of like like just going crazy on the scallions and chopping them very quickly into small pieces, you feel like such a badass. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's cool. You know, like don't you feel like an awesome chef even if you don't know what you're doing? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so scallions. We talked about the sizzle in the pan. See what's interesting about that sound there, um, like that. I know just from listening that that is after the 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 steak or the chop has been in the pan for a while because you can hear that there's a fair amount of fat in the pan. Like that's a a liquidy bubble uh, sear as opposed to when the when the steak first hits the pan, it's just tss. right, right. Um, I think that was kind of cool. One thing our test kitchen also talked about. They're talking about like when you're reducing tomato sauce. And I hadn't thought about this, that, you know, if you're making homemade tomato sauce where you open up a can of, like, San Marzano tomatoes and you're just crushing it in a pan with some olive oil, at first it's there's a fair amount of water in there. And if you cook it, it's a, it's a sort of a, a loose, loud bubble. And then if you cook it down, it becomes almost reduced and syrupy, and that bubble becomes, blah, blah, like, slower and tighter. Right, heavier. Yeah, heavier. Lower in pitch, deeper. Like, you can sense that it's a thicker... Liquid. I think if people can just imagine like, like uh, a, a light, thin liquid versus a thick, heavy liquid is just going to make different sounds when it bubbles. It's going to make different sounds when it gets mixed up. But we never think about that, though. Right. Like, well, I don't think we think about it consciously, but I'm sure that people are listening to us talk about this, and they're like, oh, yeah, totally. We actually don't even need to go to the <laughs> test kitchen <laughs> yeah, recording exactly. of these sounds. <laughs> I'll just do them all myself. <laughs> Um, all right, we talked about pa- potato chips, which are oh, I yeah. think are probably the most I don't know, it's always kind of one of the most audible foods out there. And let, let, let's talk potato chips and, and what do you think about them? Well, this kind of segues us to the sounds of eating versus the sounds uh, of cooking, yes. which is also a very important thing because I've actually become really interested lately in what's called uh, neurogastronomy, sort of the study of the way our brains process what we're eating. Mm. And it turns out that you judge what you're eating by a lot more than just sight and smell it and quote unquote taste. Mm-hmm. You're taking in all these kinds of stimuli from what the food, the sounds the food makes to the sounds in the room, to the lighting, to the size and shape of the plates and a million other things. And there's this great classic study done by this guy, Charles Spence in the UK, where he had people eat potato chips. They were all identical chips. They were Pringles, each one identical. Eat them into a microphone while wearing headphones. And then he played with the sound so that even though they're eating all the same chips, they would sound different in their ears. Oh, okay. And as, and when people, when the chips crunch sounded louder, people rated the chips as fresher and better. When the crunch was quieter in sound, they thought the chips were not as good. And this even translates to the sound the bag makes. Meaning what? The you know potato chip bags were actually designed to be loud and crinkly. Like they, they don't have to be mm. crinkly, in order to keep the chips fresher. But when people hear a loud package that goes with a loud crunchy food, they make a connection. And if the package is louder, people will perceive the chips themselves to be crunchier and fresher. Interesting. Unless you're buying a can of Pringles, and then, right. then it's like buying tennis balls. Right. Like what the heck? But they also did that whole commercial based off the sound of the pop of when you open it. Oh, remember? Yeah. Once you pop, yeah. you can't stop. Yeah, I'm a big, huge fan of just Utz plain potato chips, like the not, you know, the fairly thin, not too salty, not overly fried sort of chip. You know, but I don't know. What do you? What's your wh- wh- take? Why? why? Do you, yeah, why do you like well, those better? 
A, because I grew up with them. So anything oh, okay. you grew up with, you like better. Sure. Um, but what I like about Utz um, more so than Lay's, for instance, I think Lay's and a lot of other chips are too salty. Mm. And Utz, interestingly, going back, way back in the day, has always been had a lower salt content. Um, so I can eat more of them uh, without, without, that, without your lips getting numb from that overly saltiness. Um, so do you ever, I mean, I'm with you on us over like Lay's because I agree a lot of those really super thin chips are just like salt crunch delivery systems. Yeah. Like you want a little potato flavor yes. in there. And I think us has the purest potato flavor. Well, that's a bold statement, but mm. but you don't feel like you're missing crunch. Do you ever take multiple Utz chips and stack them to amplify crunch? Um, well, I definitely take multiples. I don't know why. Uh, yeah, it's because they're very thin. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's I guess, but and then and then you have the issue of like Ruffles, which I like Ruffles better than Lay's, same company, but I think they're they're better because they're actually thicker. So I think they might, even if they have the same amount of salt, they have more potato to balance out the salt to potato ratio, um, and they have more surface area because yeah, of the but, ridges. But that crunch, the crunch of a uh, Ruffles is different <laughs> than the crunch of a kettle chip. Yes, it's like a denser like thicker sort of crunch. But they sort of have like an artificial increased surface area because they imprint those ridges on them, yes. whereas the kettle chips have a natural increased surface area because they uh, uh, twist and contort. Yes. And I love, to me, like when I open up a bag of kettle chips, first thing I'm looking for is the folded chips and the mm-hmm. double and the double folded double chips. Double folded, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah and that, and you're, you're not going to get many of those in your Uts. No, you're not going to get any of them. Right. I, and, but I'm okay with that. I guess, yeah, no, but it's interesting. I hear what you're saying. Oh, one thing we were talking about also sound-wise. This is a sound I love. I'm going to grab the mic right now uh, and see if I can do this. Um, this is artisanal sound effects by Adam Rappaport. Yeah, so I'm going to tilt the mic down. Hold on a second. And obviously, hopefully, listener, when you hear this, you'll know what I'm doing. You can hear that. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's uh, unmistakable. Is that the best sound ever? It's Absolutely. It's, it's 7.15. I just got home from work. And... <laughs> Darn it. Papa's making himself a drink. Um, I will bet you that some people, perhaps actually me included and probably you, and listeners hear that sound and begin to crave a cocktail. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, well, I think what's interesting about that sound and, and what when I hear ice hitting a glass, I mean, I can tell two things. Is that a good sort of block ice that you'll get at a good bar, like a good cube ice? Or is it kind of like the little chippy sort of ice you get in your freezer machine and like – it's a difference. And also you can tell by this one, this is a nice Baccarat rocks glass I got from somewhere, but it's, you know, a heavy leaded crystal bottom and that there's a solidity to it. When those big ice cubes hit it, it sort of resonates differently than if I have like my little cheap CB2 water glass that I have at home with, you know, cheap freezer ice. It's a, it's a very different sort of sound. This is much more Anchorman. <laughs> oh, yes. It feels classy. There's something about you know, <laughs> holding that glass with the big ice cubes and it's got a, a sort of a heavy weighted bottom in the glass, yeah. you know, and you put your drink in and you just like feel very debonair. Exactly. And I, I don't have any whiskey with me or scotch, but you would hear the glug glug and the, and, and the scotch hitting the ice cubes. Well, you're not um, too far from it, Adam. And just in yeah. our walk from your office to the studio, <laughs> I have never... And I've been in a lot of offices in my day, and I get a little liquor at my desk. I have never seen such a per capita ratio of liquor bottles to employees than at Bon Appetit. Um, very impressed. Yes, there's a, there's enough booze to go around. <laughs> um, as long as you get your work done, that's, that's I, right. do what you got to do. That's and if right. it helps, do what you got to do. That's like the um, media, media industry mantra. You got your deadline. You got to hit it if you, as long as you hit it. <laughs> Speaking of stimulant sounds, one sound that I think 
I can all like my taste buds start to pucker with acidity is when I hear a really crisp apple being bitten into. And you know when you're biting into like a crisp green apple compared to one of those like Millie Macintosh that you had as a kid. Like right. just by hearing, you know that it's a good apple or not. Absolutely. I'm hearing that sound of that fresh apple in my head. I also almost perceive in my sense memory that the apple is cold. Mm. Like I perceive a temperature. Yeah. That, well, cold and crisp often go together when you think of like vegetables, something out of the crisper, right. you know, the crisper drawer in right. your fridge. And that yeah, like warm doesn't – really hot equates to crispy and really cold equates to crispy. Yeah. But sort of warm slash room temperature typically does not. That's right. Interesting. Even going back to the scallions, um, you know, one thing we've talked about in the magazine before – um, is that, you know, taking a scallion and plunging it into ice water or another green vegetable, and it'll crisp up that vegetable before you slice it or throw it on top of a salad or whatever uh, as a garnish or something. Um, and that, yeah, that ice water will crisp up something. Um, interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. But it's also just the sound thing that how your senses are connected. And like I said, if I hear a really crisp apple, I think acidic apple. You know, right or wrong, and I'm not sure if I am right, but that's what I think. You know, right? But that's kind of one of the, the part of the point is that we make these associations with sound and taste perception that we're not always aware that we make, but they affect our perception of how things taste. Like background music. There's all these studies about the way the background music affects taste perception. Like people will rate an Italian restaurant more off to be more authentic, quote unquote if the background music is what they think of as stereotypically yeah. traditional Italian music as opposed to classic rock yeah. or whatever it may be. However, when the background music is too loud, when it's very loud, it reduces taste sensation because it kind of overwhelms your senses. Yeah, but what's – well, all right, this is something that's interesting. I mean, now you get into sort of restaurant culture and stuff. And if, and if you look – I mean, the first restaurant I thought about was Babo when you mentioned – the soundtrack, and, and when Mario and Joe opened that, Mario Battaglia and Joe Bassianich in 1997, 1998, um, they pointedly did not play classic Italian music. They right. played the Black Rose and the Ramones and Led Zeppelin. And I guess in some ways that went along with Mario's food, which was purposely not classic Italian food. It was right. his riff on Italian cooking. Um, and it's interesting then I was thinking about loud music. And I was thinking about David Chang's restaurants like Sambar and Momofuku, which also play a lot of loud rock and roll of some sort or other. But also his food, you could argue, is loud and like the very sort of assertively seasoned and flavored to, to maybe sort of compete with that sort of very frenetic environment in which you are sitting. That's right. No, absolutely. And and, and the research would suggest that if they were if they turned down the music in those places people would probably find the food to be more full, strongly flavored and spicier perhaps too much so right exactly so so in a way there's a competition and this happens on airplanes too uh, part of the reason why taste sensation is lower on airplanes is because of the decibel level of the plane itself and those three bloody marys you just said well that's another <laughs> interesting thing so so on an airplane um, some types of taste sensation are reduced but not umami hmm 
Um, which is part of the reason why they think that tomato juice and Bloody Marys are so popular on airplanes. Like, who ever drinks tomato juice? Have you ever seen anyone order tomato juice anywhere except on an airplane? No, but every now and then I will do the, can I get a tomato juice on ice, which is kind of nice. Right. It's like It's like I kind of, if I, those moments where I'm not having a drink on the plane, I'm, I'll do the tomato juice on ice. Maybe with a, like a little lemon wedge or lime wedge. And it's like, it's like a pretend. Right. It's like Mary. a virgin Bloody Mary. Yeah, totally. I mean, I love the... Um, Mr. and Mrs. T's Bloody Mary mix, but there's an insane amount of salt in that also. Right. Uh, it's like the Dorito of the of the cocktail world. <laughs> and it's really good. Right, right. I can have like two of those, and at that point, I have to like tap out. Right. Not because of the vodka, but because of the Bloody Mary mix. I did Bloody Marys on New Year's Day. You know what I added as my secret special ingredient to make them super awesome? Maggie sauce. Oh, which is which sort is, of the explained. Yeah. Well, there's a few very yeah. there's actually a few recipes depending on where there's there's like a Central and Eastern European Maggie recipe. There's a South American one. There's an Asian one. I use the one from Germany, but it's sort of like I, to me the best description is soy sauce on crack. Yeah. Um, it's sweeter. It's like soy sauce plus sweetness plus MSG. So it has this deep, intense umami flavor that is so amazing and like. I put it on almost. I'm putting. I'm using it so much. It's ridiculous now. <laughs> You're hooked. And that the, the sweets like it just it amplifies all the flavors of a great Bloody Mary. Sweet, salt, umami. So it's 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 kind of like you're using that instead of Worcestershire sauce. Right. Yeah. But it was interesting how many, how often those sort of umami, MSGE sort of things exist in various cultures and fish sauce and a lot of these things like have anchovy. Even if you don't like, I, I want to say Worcestershire sauce has anchovies in it. Um, a lot of these things, you know, that that sort of, yeah, that funky, deep, umami-esque sort of thing. When I think of Bloody Marys, getting back to the audio thing, um, I think of a celery stalk. And, and, and you know when a celery stalk is crisp and fresh and you know when the celery has been sitting in your fridge – for a week and a half, and right. it starts to get that kind of limit, <laughs> and it sounds very different uh, than when you slice through it. It's such a good sound. Yeah. Chopping and, is fun, and part of the reason why chopping is fun is because of the sound that it makes. Yeah, and it's interesting. I, I, that's good TV, food TV, um, dating back to when you know I used to watch PBS, like Great Chefs of the Southwest and Great Chefs of New Orleans, and so much of those shows were good audio, and the sizzle in the pan, and the chopping, and that really sort of brought it to life. You can't taste the food, but you can hear it. And that that makes a big difference. All right. So Dan Pashman, thank you very much for coming by. You can check Dan out on WNYC's The Sporkful podcast. And then coming up, what do you, you have a special couple of episodes coming up, right? Yeah. We actually just launched a series we've been working really hard on called Other People's Food. It's all about sort of food and race and culture. And I'm pretty excited about it. We are asking some sort of like kind of hard questions and not necessarily expecting to get all the answers, but um, we talk about like what happens when people, when chefs get famous for cooking a food that they weren't born into mm -hmm. um, and some of the concerns that come along with that, but also some of the great opportunities. We talked to Rick Bayless in a pretty provocative interview. Um, and then we also sort of talk about like, why do we, why are we willing to pay so much more for Italian food than Mexican food? Yeah. Why do we pay more for Japanese food than Chinese food? Like, and, and we look into that and some of the stereotypes mm -hmm. that come along with that. So- that sounds like a very rich, provocative topic that I imagine you could have talked a lot about. Yeah. I mean, one of the and, challenges of putting it together was just like deciding what to focus on because we could have done 20 episodes on it. Yeah. And yeah, so. I mean, it's I mean, something similar you also hear in, in the world of music and appropriating someone else's music and whether credit is given or not. And you Right. Know, well, uh, we're going to be talking about that as part of the series. I'm going to be talking to Ashok Kondabolu, who's also known as Dap. He was formerly in Das Racist. Mm -hmm. And he's an Indian-American guy in the world of hip hop, and he can talk about that. We're going to have Rosie Perez in it. So, awesome. yeah. 
Pretty excited. And, and about how it. many how many episodes of that? It's will gonna you be do? four episodes over two weeks. All right, we'll check it out on the Sporkful WNYC podcast. You can download it wherever you get your podcast. Yeah, wherever you got this one that you're listening to right now. Exactly. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Adam. This podcast has been brought to you by Bell Cushing and Carrie Polis, with editing by Mitra Kaboli and additional help from Christina Che and Lily Sherman. Our theme music is by Valerie and the Greedies. We have new episodes every Wednesday. And if you want to tell us anything about this or any episode, please email us at bonapetitfoodcast at gmail.com.